0: Welcome to another episode of Right Brain Rounds. And today I have Dr. Jillian Reigert and Dr. Anique Cockcroft. And we're doing a panel discussion today about autonomy in medicine. Um, I wanted to bring female physicians together to kind of talk about how we can achieve that in medicine today. Um, and also kind of go through um, what it's like to be on the other side of burnout. Um, You know, not everyone has gone through that in medicine or maybe, you know, people are considering that they're in the midst of burnout um, or after the COVID pandemic or, you know, kind of ending that, that um, they might be reflecting on everything that happened during that time. um, And then just also kind of looking um, for words of advice for um, younger trainees and people who are just starting out in medicine um, and how we can help them. So welcome today and thank you so much for joining this panel.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, Yes. so excited.
0: I just wanted to see if, you could introduce yourself and I'll start with um, Dr. Reigert, Dr. Jillian Reigert. Um, tell us about your journey in medicine and, and where you're from and where you're currently practicing and um, how you've become autonomous in, in your practices.
1: Yeah. So I, I fast-tracked. I actually went to dental school first and I didn't enjoy it. And I only liked oral surgery because I got to do medicine and I like the surgical aspect. And so I put my head down and people will know the arrival fallacy. We put our head down because it will get better when. And so in my head, I put, I'm going to become an Air Force oral surgeon. And I just grinded my way to that. And once I got into the Air Force, I was selected to do a six-year oral surgery program. And I was at an amazing residency. It was a strong personal fit, but I was exhausted from the forced sleeplessness. And during that time period, I actually didn't have the terms burnout. I thought I was the only one struggling, which I think is important because I'm really glad people are having these discussions because that sense of loneliness and like, it's just me, was leading towards very uh, intense suicidality. So people might know my story or may not have heard of it, but it's available on Kevin MD, And he titled it, I risked my career to save my life. And that's exactly what happened. But it took three years of living with suicidality to allow myself to consider that maybe I can switch specialties because when people are in those dark thoughts, and it may be burnout, moral injury, depression, it's really hard to tease apart what you might be experiencing at that time. If you're in survival mode, it's hard to appreciate options, and people uh, might often feel trapped. So if you're in that state of mind, I want to share that aspect of my story so that you can hear and feel where you're at so that we can help you through it to know you're not trapped. There is a way out. There are other ways to live um, other than what I was thinking at the time was I need to finish this residency or take my own life. Um, Thankfully for me, somebody came, a female surgeon, and said, hey, I deal with the same thing. She kind of shared a little bit more about her story, and that snapped me out. It's like, I'm not the only one. And I really had a strong program director who saw me holistically. And that's something that's very important for me to help other people to understand you are a human first. And I was given that in my residency. And he said, all I want is for you to do the best thing for you. Don't worry about the program. Don't worry about the program. Just do the best thing for you. And it's with that constant reassurance that got me to a place where I sought therapy and it helped me to start to see alternative options. Um, I was medically discharged from the military for, um, unfortunately, for my mental health. So yes, it does happen, but it actually worked out for the best. So when we often feel that we have to risk our, our lives to save our career, I want to help people to understand, please risk your career to save your life. Don't worry about... Oh my gosh! I'm going to ruin my future. No, you won't. You have so many skills and talents. So, I uh, was discharged from the military, and at the same time, I was dealing. You know, I wasn't coping well. Uh, I I was numbing with an eating disorder, which was compromising my life. And and my co-resident died, and my ex-boyfriend died, and my commander died. So there was so much going on, and uh, I I I didn't in that period do what I would offer to people now is to pause. <laughs> to take time away from the environment, to give yourself time to rest. But what I did, which I don't recommend, is I transferred residencies and I started a new residency in oral medicine the day after I turned in my resignation, um, which means that I prolonged the grieving period. I prolonged that sense of burnout until I hit another period of rock bottom. And, And I don't want people to have to hit a rock bottom to then give themselves permission to change the trajectory of their life. Uh, I don't want people to feel alone and feel like you're the only one and you're the weak link. And and when I was feeling alone, I hid in guilt and shame. And, And finally, I just said, I can't live this way and submitted the article that I mentioned that to Kevin MD and what it brought forth was this whole community of people who said, hey, me too and being in groups like this around people that get it has been very important and and so that allowed me to start the healing process and i realized wow that sense of loneliness is so devastating so painful and the value of the community that's there anyone listening to this now there is a community for you helped to provide me the strength to make the huge changes that i did in my life um and so my first sorry this is long but i i know people are at different places so the first attending job that I had wasn't a good fit for me, um, and COVID hit during that time. And so I just took a chance on this job that wasn't, didn't even exist yet. I'm NIH-funded for a research fellowship. I work in radiation oncology, moved across the country. And this is where therapy and coaching uh, is really helpful, because I moved across the country with the same mindset, and, and had I not tried something new, like coaching um and really leaned into different healing modalities you know you can always change your environment but you might end up having the same cycle. so i i signed up for Martha Beck's Wayfinder Life Coach training and saw a need for coaching within uh my institution and fortunately we have coaching integrated within the institution became a coach within the institution and could finally use my pain for purpose and and that is what i leverage today because i definitely think that we can get our life back. We can take ownership of our lives. We can create a profession that we are serving in the way that we want to serve. And whether it's in traditional medicine or in some other healing capacity, there is a place for you and you matter. So I think that's important to share.
0: Such an important message to people in medicine where we have an epidemic a physician suicide, and you know, letting people know that they're not alone, and that you know other people go through this, and that you don't have to take your life. You can change your career, um, and that could save your life. I mean, what a wonderful message! And the fact that you put it out there too. And, and don't keep it a secret or hidden. Um, because, you know, a lot of times there's so much shame um, in the medical profession to even admit that you're struggling. I mean, yeah. I, I would say, I know that I've seen that. I don't know, Anik, if you've seen that in your career, but I mean, props to you for putting it out there. You've probably helped so many people by telling your story.
1: Well, thank you, I appreciate it. So many.
0: Yeah. And Anique, um, I know that um, you, know, you are a coach as well, and um, your um, focus is pregnant moms, You know, helping those people in, in that way. Um, how have you seen, you know, people being supported in a field where, you know, it can be really depressing sometimes, sometimes you might even reconsider even being a physician, you know, during training.
2: Yeah. Uh, so I, um, hello to everyone. I'm, I'm coming from Maui, um, and just grateful to be here. And I, I, these kind of enriching soul chats are are just so amazing and nourishing to me. I, I had a mental health background before medical school. Um, I think just landing in, in what I was meant to do, I pursued a uh, mental health counseling uh, master's in marriage and family therapy and play therapy. And that then led into um, medical school, much like a lot of our stories going in with, you know, so much empathy and so much tenaciousness that we all do and similar um to, to what I resonated with uh, your story and I'm sure all of our stories we we have the grit to power through and we do this throughout medical school and then we have that mentality mindset during residency uh, and, and fellowships and whatever further training we we do and ultimately we have to examine that the, all those limiting beliefs I think that are packed in there and whether they serve us or not because it does lead us in my in my, in my experience too to a lot of isolation. I uh, so I pursued a pediatric residency in Hawaii, uh, in in Honolulu, that's where our tertiary uh, pediatric facility is, and then I did a sports medicine fellowship uh, following that, also in Hawaii. Uh, and my third year of residency, I you know, a pediatric resident like, and we and maybe we all want to, maybe women want to start families in medicine. It's just, and I had been the first resident in a while to have a baby, so I felt like I was paving trying to pave a lot of paths and in, in that way. Um, and I remember uh, you know, I had some complications like postpartum hemorrhage and things with my my delivery and just feeling like I had committed to the, to this field and I loved to take caring for other the honor and privilege of caring for other people's children. But I was also just so uh heartbroken and of uh, how was I gonna return to this 80-hour schedule with my own newborn you know at home uh, anyway and so powered through with the grit kind of like we all have felt um, but I did do my grand rounds my my third year of residency on burnout uh, because I felt that welling up within me and and the way that I suppressed feelings related to that like okay well that's just you have to be grateful because this is and this is the field you chose um, and I and i do love medicine i think all, all of us do um but i i came to believe that burnout something not inherently wrong with any of us it's an external you know forces that are slowly pinging away at at the empaths within us at the healers within us at the creators and the artists that we are um and i do think it's it it's kind of like a slow dehumanizing process where yeah we we sort of step away from our own you know, inner sanctuary, locus of control, and and over time, that really um, we have to come back in touch with ourselves. Like, who are we? Who? What do we need to nourish ourselves? What kind of hobbies do we love outside of these hospital walls? Um, because we're in survival mode, and we we are so good at that, and it pouring out to other people, um, but then the self care and the reverence for our own mental health s- does suffer. Uh, so I started to think about like how we can inoculate ourselves in that way and not if burnout happens, but more of a win, because I, so so that we can view it not as something inherently wrong with us or that we're a misfit within medicine, but more like, okay, this is something that happens to all of us in various forms and we may be manifested in different ways. And so for me, as a new mom in my um, final year training and then going into fellowship i I really um, have always loved like the sacred connections with parents in in pediatrics. I remember when I chose pediatrics, and people were like, you know, you know, you have to deal with the parents, right? And I was like, I know, like, yeah, I, I know that. I and I and I actually love dealing with the parents, um, or not dealing. That's not even the word, but collaborating with the parents. And when new moms would be vulnerable to me, just like we're being vulnerable right now, and I do believe that vulnerability is our currency forward. Your story, um, Jillian, was yeah is so moving, um, and compelling because you're willing to be vulnerable. And that's how you've healed yourself and so many others. You've invited them to uplift and step into that space. And so for me and my personal experience with moms, whether they're new moms, postpartum and I'm seeing their babies, or it was further down the line, that vulnerability was, I just felt like that was the space for me to meet them. And so that's kind of how mama mindset was born out of my own personal experiences and those of, uh, in a clinical setting of just holding space for moms and trying to, uh, allow us to examine those limiting beliefs around the guilt, shame, compare mode, you know, that we don't ultimately serve any of us, but we all have have the tendency to entertain and allow to take up too much of our mental um, landscape. So that's what I enjoy doing now. And I, I, uh, I also have given myself the freedom in within clinical medicine to pivot and, um, do more locums, which in our outer islands, outside of um, Oahu, the main island, we have a lot of need for that. So that's been kind of fun serving in that way. Um, and I just feel such a, in, in medicine, such a camaraderie and such a reverence for all of our fellow colleagues for the the grit and the grace, um, the trauma and the triumph that they've displayed. And I know that they've gone through, and we we all know through their medical school and residency and fellowship journeys if that applies and uh it's just my sincere desire alongside of you all to come and and be vulnerable and authentic and genuine about it and hold space and say that we all we're limited by nothing more than our creativity our willingness to pivot our willingness to examine those limiting beliefs and what what is not isn't serving us um and to say to ourselves similar to how jillian did you know is this is this my path like what if I what if I change course? Uh, and that's how I found so much freedom in my own personal life and, and clinically. And it's allowed me to show up more presently for myself and within my, you know, marriage and as a mom. So um it's a passion for me to come alongside other moms or physicians. Um that's paths I'm blessed across and hear their stories and see their bravery because we all are extremely brave and courageous to have persevered to the points that we even are at now. And so we have all the tools to be able to create and lead the lives we want to lead. It just takes that next step of giving ourselves permission, really. And I think that is hard for us because we're used to following us a prescribed path. So to deviate from that feels scary and challenging um, but I've done it and you you all have done it and we're here holding space for whoever's next in our, in our colleagues. Totally beautiful. And, you know,
0: just kind of thinking back to training and, you know, w- when you have to take breaks in your training to, you know, have real life things going on, like having children, attending funerals, um, you know, do, doing those types of things, And, you know, really humanizing ourselves as physicians. I think that that's very important um, to consider. And, you know, also going back to, you know, things like Jillian said, you know, is it going to be your career or Mm -hmm. your life? I mean, to get to that point where you have to choose, uh, there's something wrong with the systems that, you know, surround us and our training Methods and you know there needs to be something incorporated into it that allows us to ask for the help that we need mm-hmm. um, and without shame or guilt.
2: Yes, and without without the fear that we all feel of men- the mental health component is is everything uh, and yeah t- without feeling that we would have that scarlet letter or um, r- what ramifications may come from it and I, I know that we all feel that. Uh, so I, I fully agree and resonate with that. And I am very moved and excited to read the Kevin and D piece that you, you wrote, because that's, that's incredible.
1: Yeah. And I think it goes further too, when it comes to, when I was exploring what to do, when it came to surgery, I had to ask myself, why did I get here? You know, was it the right path for me in the beginning? Um, because we know we could overcome if we have our why intact. I could have probably overcame lean into it, figured out the resources I needed in order to be successful as a surgeon. But I felt I kind of led myself astray. I was actually interested in mental health from the very beginning and and my family wasn't as supportive. So uh, I thought, you know, I'm very sensitive and, and our world isn't necessarily kind to sensitive people until we embrace it as a strength and as you said, an empath, right? And so we can often be the targets or be very vulnerable to being taken advantage of. And so I wanted to defend myself because I had been historically taken advantage of or seen as weak for my sensitivity. So becoming an Air Force oral surgeon was my way to protect myself. Mm -hmm. And so what I like to help people do is really get to their core why. And if they're out of alignment with their core values and their why, then it giving ourselves because it was more of an ego thing then at that point. Right? It's like, well, I know surgery is probably not the best thing for me at this point because my why isn't overcoming the severe suicidality I have. Right. So if I could have figured out a way like, okay, I need a little bit more sleep, navigate how to make that possible if if it is possible during training, and it could be, you know, I it definitely could have improved the way that I was coping with training. What I fear is often we can coach ourselves into going back into a war that wasn't ours to fight, meaning mm-hmm. like I took a FMLA twice. During the FMLA, my goal was to make myself as strong as possible to get back in to surgery. I hadn't yet given myself permission to consider, take a pause, rest, think about what's best for you. And it's really highlighted now when I have a mentor who says, what do you really want? And I'll weep because I'm like, man, that is a great question. And how long do we people please and lose our way? Especially when the system's really, uh, my, so me docs, is human, not robot, right? It's like we created a system made for robots. It's very dehumanizing, both from a person who works in it. And I was a patient with my eating disorder. I was impatient in a psych unit. And so I got to that experience of feeling, well, how do they treat people who are locked in a unit that has a high stigma to it? And I was—it uh, was a good social experiment, and I was quite disappointed. Um, and and so now we get to be the voice for those patients and advocate for the people who we have learned experience may not be seen as humans. And everyone from every personal perspective, whether they work in the system or being treated by it, and we're all patients of some nature. We really need to bring the humans back into the healing. So that's a huge mission of mine in whatever capacity we can bring it back in, so.
2: That's so powerful. I, I had a similar, um, I think also growing up, I was, you know, labeled in different ways as very sensitive. And for me, and I think a lot of us that that falls upon it, it, um, as a, as a child and maybe in our minds and the way we're evolving, we think, okay, well, that's, that's the too much part of me that people can't handle. So we have to kind of, um, mute that or you, you know and so for me yeah we we find ways to self protect self-protect, you know and so it was just following following paths and and always meeting goals um and and later we learn as you as you alluded to that that's perhaps our greatest strength and that's perhaps our gift to the world and that we let shine out and it's hard uh within medicine because of the rigorous structure um and the way that we we learn how to be super adept at um, adapting to other people's needs and, you know, as med students, memorizing other people's protocols. And, and you know, every month it's essentially starting a new job in a lot of ways. I'm sure people can think of it that way when you're memorizing someone else's uh, way that they like their templates or, you know, all the details, all the ways that we show up um, throughout our, because we're, we're so focused on the goal and we, we get very gifted at that. Um, and I think not, not that that's necessarily inherently wrong, but it does take us away if we're not careful that a slippery slope from our own who, who are we and and our own artistry and our own creativity and what we want to bring to medicine as the empaths and sensitive people that you know most physicians are at their core. Um, and we we must find ways yes to to humanize it again. For me, it was always it was uh, bringing like nail polish and painting patients' nails in the afternoon when I had time, or bringing my favorite books and going and sitting with them and playing games or Um, visiting the NICU babies that didn't have uh, family visiting and just reading and sitting there. And those moments were um, the most powerful, I think, uh, for me in in medicine and more time, more time to do that, more time to play, more more free time, you know, and those questions like your mentor asked. um, And for me, a question that really resonates is, how good are we willing, how good am I willing to let my life get? And for us to ask ourselves, like, how good are you willing to let it get? We really can open ourselves to abundance and pivot from the scarcity mentality that I don't think we mean to adopt. It's just sort of or even that medicine, uh, means to impose upon us, but I think it happens throughout our, uh, our training. It's just, okay, well, this is what you get. This is what it's, is expected. This is what you'll do. So we learn to operate within that and to survive. Um, and we desperately want to thrive. And there are, there are ways that we try to do that. Um, but it's, ex- it's exhausting and lonely oftentimes, and, and I think it does lead us to mental health. Um, and so I think this is for all of us. Something that we can we can learn that our mental health is something to be you know glorified and and protected and talked about and examined at every step of the way, um, and hopefully we can start to embed that from the very beginning for our for people pursuing medicine.
0: I also yeah. think- um Oh, I'm sorry. Um, you know, when you think about our own mental health as physicians. And looking at each physician as a person and a human in that, you know, depression, anxiety, suicidality, you know, those do affect humans who practice medicine. And, Mm -hmm. you know, to admit that and to say, hey, you know, these people, there's an occupational risk factor of being a physician that you you know, suicide is an occupa- occupational risk factor and recognizing that and addressing it and, and being open to saying, you know, hey, this is how I'm feeling and um, I need help. Like, I feel like those are things that are not happening in our field. Maybe it's starting to get a little bit easier. You know, we have people like Dr. Reigert, you know, talking about it, um, her personal journey, more people, you know, um, just seems like need to talk about it. Yes.
1: I also think like, why, why do we think we're going to thrive in a system that we don't sleep? We don't pee. We don't have genuine human connection. We don't have the basic human needs met. Why do we think Mm -hmm. we won't develop anxiety? And why do we think we have a system that Treats patients. You know, I I was when I was a patient, I got rejected from a place that I was strongly encouraged to go to that had the necessity, uh, necessary medical uh, wherewithal with my eating disorder to take care of me. But they wouldn't take me because I had Tricare care insurance anywhere on my list. Didn't matter where I had it, and they and I had got kind of that experience of what patients feel like. This could have been life threatening, and I'm denied care. And so we see patients struggling with, okay, well, I'm, I'm being told that my life is as, is as valuable as my pocket size and how much moral injury develops when we can't offer treatment just because it's a human right to healthcare. And it's, that's not what our, our uh, healthcare system is established to create for people and, and working in a cancer institution and, and hearing the struggles that people have with access to care all the time. It's just, it, It's more than burnout, right? If people can start to name all the things that they're experiencing, like that's moral injury and, and we're set up not to be successful. And as people who care, well, of course I feel anxious. Of course I feel depressed. And when we feel trapped and we feel like we take it and means that we're a failure, well, that's where we are at risk for taking our own lives. And how can we help people process in a way that's not stigmatized in a way that's not isolating? So we're like, yeah, this really sucks. It really does, and and your experience of it is absolutely valid. And I would expect that because you really care. Yes, I,
2: I like the invitation to pivot even from bur- burnout because it can be something that yeah we th- we think of as internal rather than a moral injury. Just a continual piling on of um things that we're ex- we expected or we feel expected to overcome. Um, you know, and and you're right, like. In a place where it's already we're pushed to the brink of fatigue, we think it'll get better too. Sometimes after training, but I, I mean, I'm sure various people in aspects of medicine they've chosen. You, you, you know, we, we still push ourselves to the limits physically, and anybody who who experiences that, you know, is it, that's dehumanizing too. And to have to learn to function at a high level that we do while being extremely tired. Um, you know people people were like, "Oh, it, it, in new motherhood, I'm like, oh, this this is easy. I've done like you know, like waking up with newborns um, and just walking to the fridge and getting a snack, like, I got that. You know, it's this is nothing like compared to uh, <laughs> the calls and and having to be on mentally all the time um that we we love to do for our patients. But I think then also in medicine, the the greater moral injury with trying to advocate for our patients and fight for them for the care we know that they need and deserve and want but that we want for them, we'll, we'll do that. And we step up again and again, and then with, you know, institutions and just the bu- the bu- business of medicine um, and the way that f- we just take it all on as physicians. And I, and I, so I do think it's inevitable that we have the moral injury um, and how do we help each other navigate through that, knowing that our mental health will suffer and that that's nothing yeah, there's nothing wrong with us and it doesn't make us weaker or less resilient or less fit to be in medicine. It humanizes us and it should be something that connects us. Um, And I I agree with you that ultimately, if we're able to download that along the way and process it and be validated for those experiences, um, then likely our mental health won't suffer. Because often those story, the stories we hear over and over, oh, but they seem so well adjusted and I couldn't tell anything. And that's because we're so gifted in the amount of energy that we invest to show up like that every day is, and I'm sure you can speak to that, is exhausting um, and further isolating. And, you know, it's it's devastating to know that that's happening for our colleagues now, even now.
1: Yeah, I think... I I definitely put on a mask and you know, the pain of what you're experiencing. And I I realized like in my darkest moments, I just like a Robin Williams thing, right? You just, I don't want other people to feel the darkness. So I was probably appearing the most well, unless I was communicating. And I I had been open at that time because, you know, as you can tell, I am a little bit more vulnerable in speaking about things. Um, and I, I looked around and not, I didn't have other people reciprocating aside from that one voice uh, until I was about to leave the institution that I had my first residency at, and got some very valuable conversations with with people who I held on a pedestal, and I wondered how the heck do they do that all? How do they do it? And one person comes to mind in particular—you know, the person who I was like, "Wow." He just is got everything together, you know, is what he looked like. He was constantly being asked to do more and more and more, which often happens when you showcase your competencies and your excellence. And he just, we had great conversation in the Starbucks that was there and just let out the truth. And I was like, wow, that to me really highlighted how we can never tell just from looking at people. We cannot tell.
2: Yes. And to further that, I think because we're, we're, we're oftentimes triaging our own inner, inner needs and landscape where we don't want to offend our colleagues by asking or um, even though we have sincere desire to show up for them. So creating that space like we're doing here today and then these, these steps that are being taken where we do ask those questions or are or, you, know, or, or you bold enough to come forward with your story and maybe then invite someone to come into theirs more of that. Um, because yeah, I, I had similar where I, I was always known to exude the joy just be like the yes woman. And, but there was definitely into interior struggles going on and just trying to, um, have this growing passion to be more present, you know, at home and with my children, but trying to decide if that was even possible, if, if this was the path I chose and, and not wanting to like, you know, abandon or um, the training that had been given me or, or, you know, like all those limiting beliefs, oh, well, I have to work in this much capacity. This is what I heard in my head, just to make sure that all the people that invested in me and, and all the hours that I put into this, um, that I serve medicine in the way that I'm meant to. Uh, so just it took a lot of like deep diving and really unpacking all those to say like, is this true? Is this even who is prescribing this? Like, why am I adhering so rigidly to this that I won't deviate, you know? from this path. And it take it takes a, a while. Um, but I love coming and showing up and seeing women in their genius zones, um, within medicine, creating all, like both of you have done, because this is, this is the future. And we are, we are, I do feel it like in my soul that medicine is pivoting and that we are, we are all noticing this moral injury. Um, and knowing that this can't continue in this trajectory. Um, so it's exciting. I hope that we can, uh, yeah, keep keep getting stronger for knowing that being vulnerable is our path forward, um, and we will ultimately uh, persevere, prevail in a way that's so much more healthy and resilient by laying our mental health out there um, and letting it be known, and letting it be known that we need to be taken care of <laughs> in the same way that we take care of others. Um, I think motherhood, that's something I found a lot in, in mama mindset and in my own path is we, we feel like, uh, you know, often to our own abandonment, we just must take care of uh, other people and we, we lose our own self in that process a lot of times. And so that's a lot of what I like to, um, explore in, in new moms and in seasoned moms. Um, but I think it happens in physicianhood also in that same capacity that we just sacrifice so much for our patients because we love them. Uh, but we, we often lose ourselves a lot in the process. Like when you were asked, what do you, what do we want? You know, we, we literally weep in our souls because it's such a profound question. And we're often so far from knowing that answer, uh, because we haven't asked that of ourselves in so long that it's this process of coming home to our inner knowing and our inner sanctuary. Um, that we, we have longed for. and we, We've known to some level we long for it, but we just haven't allowed ourselves to access it for so long because we were in performance, you know, crisis slash uh, survival mode. And we're not sure how to pivot out of it sometimes.
0: And I, I think when you look at just performance in general, you know, like if you look at a musician or an athlete or a physician, you know, we're always trying to, do our peak performance um, while trying to push back any imposter thoughts or thoughts that might limit us in our abilities to do the best job that we can. I mean, any field Um, and, you know, thinking about training and why they had to make laws that we could only work 80 hours a week um, so that, you know, people could get rest and relaxation and time to think about things other than medicine. Um, I mean, it it just seems like a really sad state of affairs um, when, you know, laws have to be made because it's such a culture of work, 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 you know, think of other people before yourself. And, you know, I'm sure it's, put many people in an early grave, um, you know, just from all of that stress, lack of sleep, lack of nourishment, you know, dehydration, um, you know, just years of self-abuse is, you know, what the way that I see it. And, you know, how can we continue to allow younger trainees to champion for themselves? You know, how can we make that, you know, more acceptable and, you know, to ask for help and not be ashamed and not be reported to a medical board or, you know, have privileges taken away or, you know, have your HIPAA, you know, concerns put out there on blast when you apply for a medical license, you know, it, it just, there, there just needs to be so, so much change, but Acceptance that people should be asking for help.
1: Yes. Yeah, and we are we are teaching by way of training real horrible life lessons, life skills, like uh, like what we were discussing about the scarcity and you have residency spots, right? It's very competitive, very perfectionistic. You are graded by a subjective scoring system, especially when you're on rotations. But in order to get things you're taught, like you have to sacrifice your life in order to get the grades, in order to succeed. You have to sacrifice all this and it will pay off in the end. And so what I face with my own illness and facing potentially a premature death was like, wow, we put this whole life on hold and that could have been my life. And that was my ex-boyfriend's life. It was my co-resident's life. It was many people who were in my high school class. Like They passed away shortly after they graduate. And I just think that we do such a disservice for people by asking them to completely put their life on hold. And in our training, we are teaching scarcity. We are teaching competition. We are teaching perfectionism. We are teaching people-pleasing. And so, with all of those things, and then you graduate and you know, it's oh, thank goodness I now have more autonomy. I see people bringing those same exact patterns into being an attending. And oh my gosh, you know what? I'm going to pivot and I'm going to create my own business. Well, then they bring it right into their business. Mm -hmm. And so, it's all about getting to what's really at the core there. Like for me, I mentioned that my at the core for me, I was taught growing up, like I was not in a very compassionate, Environment when it came from hearing, like, you are loved, you are valuable for just being you. I felt like I had to earn it. I felt like I was never enough. And so I had this continuous sense of unworthiness, and I was trying to fill it with my academic achievements. And the more I went, the more empty I felt. And then when I could finally get to the core, which is where therapy is great, but uh, also just understanding, like, why are we doing the things that we're doing? And so that I want people to ask themselves earlier. Um, because now in attending, we often hear people have a lot of grief that I followed the plans laid out for me by my parents, by societal expectations. So just check in with yourself at every stage, right? It's not too late to check in, but also sharing these stories so that people can hear them and check in before they start the journey. And then as they start the journey, well, how does people pleasing serve you? What are you afraid of if you set boundaries? What are you afraid of if you advocate for yourself? And depending on the environment that may or may not come true, and maybe you're not in the right environment to continue your training and you find a training like I, I had that was very holistically considerate. Um, so things to consider. Okay,
2: hey, I, I, I resonate with that so much because I do think we, you know, what if we could instill and infuse mental health check-ins or life coaching along the whole way so that we're celebrating the individual because right now we do reward or it seems that the person who can, you know, fall in line and um, live that life of mists that you kind of alluded to where, yeah, you're going to be missing baby showers, weddings, family events, and you tell yourself, or we tell ourselves, you know, and we're reminded of that, I think all in the culture of medicine, that it'll be worth it. This is what you chose. Um, and so we, we do, you know, we, okay, sorry, I can't come to that. No, um, you know, m- most of our twenties or whatever it ends up being for, for people. Um, and then we emerge on the other side and yes, I think we'll fully under prepared from a individualistic standpoint, how to check in with ourselves and advocate for ourselves. And so, yes, those, I think those unhealthy patterns that we didn't even, you know, mean to, but that were reinforced over that decade of training, um, come into our lives as attendings and we, we still, uh, standing our ground, advocating for ourselves, um, pivoting when needed. Those are, um, not, they're not hardwired within us, like the same way that being a people pleaser and, um, just showing up and getting it done and getting it done well, um, are. And so, yeah, I wonder how from the beginning, uh, having, you know, having one-on-one life coaching or peer groups, where it's just part of an embedded in medical education that we're going to celebrate the self and individuality and, and, and yeah, endow ourselves with some skills from negotiation standpoint, right? Like, um, or business standpoint, because yes, maybe people will be willing to say, I'm going to start my own business and they, and they, they go into it. Um, but we don't have that, or it's not, there's no space for it right now in our, current and medical education. So people then struggle with taking on the, 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 it ends up being a burden, I think for a lot of people of the business side. So, um, I like, I like what you're saying about that too, that we, um, the individuality isn't really celebrated or honored along the way. And so it's so important that you either decide to make that for yourself and get a life coach or and join these groups. Cause there's more and more of them popping up, which shows us I love how we're healing ourselves, you know, in for us in our generation of when we've come through um, and maybe when we hope, you know, to not re-traumatize people that are coming through the system now, but to instead grab them by the hands and say, you know, we want better for you. And um and not speaking against our predecessors, I think that their landscape of medicine looked different than ours did from an administrative and an insurance point of view. And I so I think the moral injuries for people, physicians today are just different. Than they may have looked, you know, a few decades ago. Um, but I know we all desire and crave for the people that are coming through now, or our colleagues at the same levels and ages, to not suffer, you know, the way that we did, and, and to celebrate them for who they are, who, what creativity they have, how can they show up within and outside of medicine um, in the ways that they were meant to, uh, and often creating these spaces, like you, you both have is is so inspiring to see because it does it invites us to say, well, maybe I can step into my own genius zone too. like And it often takes, like you're saying, uh, a willingness to go back, <laughs> which is really hard for us as physicians because we want to make sure everything made sense. And we want to make sure that everything that we've invested, which has taken all of us and, and more at times, was worth it, right? Um, and not to say it ever wasn't worth it, but that courage to go back and, and peel back the layers and say, but who am I really? And yeah, in what ways did the choices I make, were they made out of um, trying to maybe trying to people please or or follow prescribed path that I thought I needed to do? And that's tough, but so necessary in the healing process.
0: And also, when you think about just the the pathways that are laid out for us in training, and the you must do this by this time, you must do this by this time. You've got to do your residency. You need to pass your boards. You need to do this in this stepwise fashion. And you know, a lot of times, you know, when I taught in a fellowship program, I would you know challenge people and say, well, what what would happen if you didn't do that? But what would happen, you know? Like with the residents, what would happen if you didn't take your boards? If you felt like you were not ready, yeah. I mean, would the world end? I mean, what what would happen?
2: That's amazing. to ask those kind of questions, even to open those doors. Because I started doing that in my third year. I said, "What if I? What if I take?" I mean, there's no maternity leave, as most of us know. But mm-hmm. so what I did was take 12 weeks with my daughter, which meant I would graduate late. Which was, well, what if I don't get into the fellowship because I'm not following the prescribed timeline here? Um, and so that was my first experience of like, Oh, what if I deviate from the path? Like, you know, I'm going to be that, you know, and I, I did, I allowed myself to take the 12 weeks, which meant I wouldn't have vacation for two years or whatever it was. Um, but I did. And, and that was the beginning for me of like, okay. Oftentimes it can start questions. I love what you're saying. Just these questions that we can start to ask ourselves are sort of those opening the door, way because it feels so scary at first those kind of changes but if you just start asking questions what if what if this happens you know choose your own ending like we get to choose our own ending we just forget that
0: I also think like when you think about like, a lot of times um and so for me I it kind of cut out there for a moment
2: sorry <laughs> sorry no no no. I, I just love that I was just saying, yeah that. And, you know, it meant that I went back straight into like 90 hour inpatient or 80 hour, I shouldn't say 90 because it never goes above, but you know, <laughs> uh-huh. never, uh-huh. never, um, <laughs> never. Um, <laughs> I went straight back into that. And, um, but I did, I allowed myself and I still went to fellowship. I started fellowship a little later. So it was the off cycle, but I started to become comfortable in, in that little by little in that space of. Um, which for me was just crazy, right? because we're we're so used to, like you're saying, following the prescribed path and we get very good at living with a certain amount of cortisol and every day like yeah, battling imposter syndrome, but thinking, okay, well, that's good because I'm pushing myself and I and meeting these metrics and doing these procedures and um, we we learn how to live in that way. Uh, but what if we step outside of that and start to ask ourselves, yeah, maybe maybe this timeline isn't, doesn't work for me um, maybe I need to amend it a little bit and just introducing some flexibility into those to a personalized path for for our way through medicine and life because ultimately being a physician is a part of who we are um, not all of who we are and so we we have to remember that as we go we've all we've all met that head on in different ways
0: so so true Yeah. I also like to always say, you know, um, I tend to catastrophize Mm -hmm. and worry about the worst case scenario, Mm -hmm. which will never happen. (laughs) And, you know, thinking about, okay, what if I don't do what I'm supposed to do? Suppose, you know, the prescribed pathway, um, the RX pathway of how you become a physician. Um, you know, what if I don't do that? Does that mean that I fail, you know, is the worst case scenario going to happen? And, you know, usually not. And when you think about people who are empaths and people pleasers and always trying to, you know be a perfectionist where perfectionism, I mean or perfection just isn't going to ever be seen. You know, if you see a patient, you know no one comes to you, no one is perfect. Right. So, why do we strive for perfectionism? Um, But, you know, getting into that mindset of, you know, the worst case scenario is probably not going to happen. And, you know, having those thoughts and learning with coaching that, you know, you can change your thoughts and you can challenge a system and you can become autonomous and you can, you know, champion for yourself in medicine.
2: And it's okay. It's okay. And it's okay to hold our boundaries and we to do that and to do it respectfully, but to not abandon the self over and over and over again that we we do tend to do. And it becomes so ingrained in us that yeah, we we forget that we must never abandon ourselves because no one will ultimately benefit from that. And of course we won't, and our mental health won't.
1: I also think, you know, we we made these decisions before our brains fully developed. And I find that. I went through dental school. I graduated before I turned 25, right? And I had $300,000 worth of loans. I was like, uh uh-oh, you know? And, And so I often, if people are considering a gap year, I'm like, you know, the people who I thought really thrived personally are the ones that came in with second careers. They had families, they were grounded. So go for it, right? If you need time to process, you could save yourself a lot of agony if you do take that time. Not only if you do choose to go and do medicine or whatever professional schooling you thought you might consider, Uh, well, if you've had some time to explore life, you could probably have higher coping skills and people like me, whose whole self-worth was based on their grade. And and so, so instead I did dental school and then I came back and did med school as a part of my surgical training, I realized my coping skills were so much better in medical school. And of course I still hadn't developed, like, how do I cope with the lack of sleep or, you know, it is just different, but I could see how that could be advantageous. So people were always pressured, like, if you take a gap year, that looks real bad. I'm like, but does it? You know, but does it? You take a gap year between doing residency and a fellowship. Does that look that bad? Maybe you have to try a few times. Well, okay, sure. So, (laughs) you know? Yes. Yes. I, I
2: had have, I have a physician life coach that I adore that asked me this question, you know, what if you never had to convince anyone of anything ever again? And I think we're so uh, focused on how we look on paper. And even if you search some of the physician um, groups online that we we may belong to and that I think are helpful in, in building community, um, you know, there's there's fear and scarcity around, okay, well, I'm graduating and uh, I don't want there to be a gap on my... and. and You know, maybe it's not right for that person to take time off, but why? Why not? What happens if you take time off and you want to travel around the world, or you delay your starting, or you have? What happens if you have the gap? Like we, we're so afraid of these gaps or what we perceive on paper. But I feel like it's like who are we off the paper? Like to ourselves, you know, we're just exploring that. And what if? Yeah, what if we lived our lives in a way that we don't need to convince anyone that we, you know, we're worthy of this role? It's back to the worth that you brought up. we know, we know we're worthy, we put in the time, we have the competence, we have the skills, um, and yet we're also worthy to pursue that which brings us joy or can reconnects us to ourself or allows us to be the humans we're meant, meant to be and bring that creativity and that innovation back into medicine and, and enhances it even more because we're not going through the motions, but we're instead showing up in a way that's passionate and reverent to our ourselves.
1: Yeah, I think sitting in stillness is hard for people like it was hard for me because we have to sit with all the emotions and the thoughts that arise. And I have uh, embraced that sitting in uncertainty and learning how to sit in the discomfort of uncertainty has been the number one life skill I would recommend for people because we sit, we, uh, we hear what comes up for us if we sit and we hear our thoughts, right? People want to meditate, but if you haven't really developed self-compassion, I think you can meditate and have a lot of self-destructive thoughts come up. So it's like we learn how to be self-compassionate and people resist that because they think it's fluffy. But I love, Brené Brown came, I live in Houston, so she comes here, you know, she's from here. And she said at the core of people who she found had high levels of mental toughness was self-compassion. And like, okay, well, in my training, I was taught to beat myself up to build myself, to beat myself down to build myself up. I would beat myself down and then down and then down and down and then just validate that I was worthless piece of poop. And I see that in many, it just deflates us. So if we could truly honor that self-compassion is at the core of mental toughness, that we need to be self-compassionate in order to thrive in our challenging work environments and system that has flaws in it. And then the other thing she says from people who are healers and givers is that the core trait that she noticed for people who were able to be consistently compassionate was their ability to set rigid boundaries. Mm-hmm. And we're often taught, well, with people pleasing, I can't set boundaries. I can't set no. They're going to think I'm not a team player. They're going to think I'm weak. They're going to think I'm not trying hard enough. How is that working for us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: we're constantly oscillating between, yes, uh, not keeping the promises that we make to ourselves, right? Um while never compromising that with, with our work lives. And, uh, how is that working for us <laughs> and well, finding these yeah. people, the Brene Browns or the coat, the coaching practices that you guys have, have established. The, this is the, this is the gold and w- being willing to sit in the stillness. Yes. And l- and, l- and validate all your emotions as your teachers, even the hard ones. Cause I think in residency and for me or in training and even attending HUD, you Um if we feel the fear or the anxiety, we're like, okay, that's bad. And then we just we we're like okay, something's wrong. So we we usher those out. Um and yet they're there as protective factors and they're there to be our teachers and they're valid. Um and that's what happens when we sit in the stillness is we gain the courage and give the space in our own mental um landscapes to say, okay, why are you here? It is okay to feel this way. It's good to feel this way. I'm a normal human being. And what am I going to do with this? Um, maybe nothing, but just feel it and allow it. And we, do, we don't allow it for years and years and years. And so it's a very foreign concept. But I I also worked with an amazing life coach. Her name is Erica Rush. She's a family physician um, in Ohio. And she has the awakening tide. But similar to our stories, it's, it's that willingness to... F- and maybe we need a little help doing that um, to cultivate the skills that we might've forgotten that we have as empaths for ourselves, the self-compassion, like you're mentioning that Brené Brown highlights. It's, it's a simple concept really, yet it's extremely difficult practically. Yeah.
0: I think I'll um, start off by saying that the one thing that I would advise or just you know put out there as my you know um, pearl of wisdom. <laughs> Having graduated from medical school twenty years ago, um, a couple days ago, cel- celebrated that anniversary. Um, is those younger trainees um, to just always be curious about your feelings, like. You know, why do I feel that way? And what would happen if I did X, Y, Z? What would happen if I decided to take a break between residency and fellowship? What would happen if I took 12 weeks off for pregnancy leave instead of six? You know, what, what would happen if I broke away and, and started my own practice and, and it was a you know, direct primary care model? You know how horrible would that be I mean like just just get curious about those thoughts that you have because they're coming up for a reason and is it in alignment you know are the answers that you're coming up with are they in alignment with your core you know principles that you want to live your life by um, and you know just feeling like you might be challenging the system but Never give up that curiosity about the questions that you're asking yourself. So, you know, in closing, you guys have brought up so many awesome things, but, you know, what, what would you advise to our younger colleagues as they start their journeys?
2: I, I love that. I think the cure, just taking it back to childlike, you know, the pediatrician Aeneas. The childlike playfulness that we 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 have, we crave, we want to play, go to a place for your residency that you want to be outside and that you're going to connect with nature and that um or a place that brings you joy always, you know, I think that's so important because we will you you will work hard and persevere and be an amazing asset to medicine wherever you go. I, I feel people will be successful wherever they are. But I think um yes, maintaining that sense of playful curiosity having fun, honoring your inner child, doing the things that bring you joy um, is, is everything. And if you can maintain that link to your inner self and your inner landscape, then you'll be vitally more, more resilient, I think um, from an individual standpoint, and also probably more willing to examine things when, when the moral entry builds up and, and To question, yeah. And to question it, like you said, what if maybe, maybe you want to travel more. So you take a job that allows you to do that. And you just sort of build a life that you want to live from the beginning, rather than thinking you must prescribe and must um, adhere no matter what. And then on the other side, you'll reexamine. But I think rather than that, start um, with your, yeah, living in alignment with your core values so that you you don't have to refine them and recalibrate at the end um, and go on this, you know, long uh, hike back to your inner landscape, but but rather keep that in the foreground. Check in um, and enjoy. Find find the joy and medicine that brought you into it, and allow that to to keep on coming. And when you feel it slipping, re-examine. Um, so I love that curiosity, though, at the core for sure. I think it's a I think it's a healing way to live, always being curious because then it allows us to ac- access some of the trickier more scary emotions like fear and anxiety that will come up and will live alongside us. But if we cultivate a curiosity around it, it's easier to kind of go in there and look at them. So yes. And know that you're never alone, that we are all connected. We crave connection. We're great at connection. uh, But connecting with the self and with others on a deep and meaningful level is is the lifeline. And we have, we have, we have to, we have to do that as humans throughout our lives and not put it on hold during this, that season where we feel like we need to be tough and yeah. Vulnerability.
1: Vulnerability is your currency
2: moving forward.
1: Yeah. I think all that's so great. And I think with the connection, it's being authentic. So what I learned is that being anything other than you are you start to lose yourself and then you start to try to fit in. And of course, another Brene Brown thing is the opposite of belonging is fitting in. Mm -hmm. So the more I tried to mold myself to fit into different environments, the more lost I felt, the more alone I felt, the less likely I was going to be connected to the people who truly got me. So when I leaned into authenticity, try to navigate, well, what do I really want? I leaned into vulnerability to kind of free up that guilt and shame that I was carrying. It brought to me people who Got it. And and as you were saying, vulnerability is so important for deep levels of connection. So I would say authenticity, being who you are, and then finding that safe space, because we can't always be vulnerable. Some people will use it against us, but finding mm-hmm. the safe space, the people you trust, be vulnerable, that creates that sense of connection, that feeling of belonging and that you're not alone can really be a safeguard against the deep despair that I was feeling when it came to suicidality know that you're so worthy if you leave a surgical residency like i did you're you're not less worthy of living you know like one of my my psychologists said like i don't know who the most famous surgeon is like i just don't care that's not you know and it's like oh wow that doesn't actually that's that doesn't actually matter and examine the thoughts and i think when we're young we do things because we don't want to disappoint people i for sure did and I've learned as an adult, we will disappoint people, especially if they have agenda for a life that isn't exactly what we want. So I'm comfortable with disappointing people if it means I'm living in alignment with my core values. So know your why. You will disappoint people. You'll probably fail. Use it to grow. I mean, you will fail if you're trying hard enough. You will fail. Learn it as an opportunity to grow. Um, but yeah, I think everything that you said really resonates and got my dog playing in the background. So get a dog. If you have time for it, cuddle with him hard and I'll go on mute before he causes too many distractions. <laughs> oh, yes. I love
0: it. I think the other thing I'd always say too, is make sure that um, you work in a place where you can bring your pet with you to work.
2: <laughs> yes. We had a chat about that before starting and all of us are animal
1: people. So I I will, yes. One thing my- funny yeah. So I interviewed with this background and oh. <laughs> and I'm like, I will know that I'm in the right place if the person responds well to me having my dog's birthday decorations and it came a point of discussion for the rest of the interview. So it's like, you know what, be yourself. And if you have to mold yourself to put a fake facade on in order to fit into some place that you think is a great place because of the brand name, like, oh yeah. my gosh, do I wish I gave myself permission to evaluate the actual day to day and the culture of the places? Unfortunately, my surgical residency was such a prime fit. But, you know, we often think I have to try to get to this program because of what it's known for. I'm like, man, I really appreciate when people say I applied for that program because it has a lighter call schedule and I have a family or I know I need sleep. I'm like, good. You didn't yes. make sure that you suffered as hard as possible. Yes.
2: Listen to your intuition that it's divine downloads, which do come in around, around a culture and a place. And yes, the dogs, we, we all, we, we, we love that. And the charisma I used to write in my HPIs, like I would just ask do you have a dog? Because it brought me joy and literally they loved talking about it too. And I have attendees be like, I don't know why you write about like the dog and the HPI. Can we, can we maybe leave that out? (laughs) But I mean, it's again, this was just my style and flow of what worked for me. And I was like, this is a vital piece of information, like for a child and their family and um, can't convince me otherwise. So anyway, yes, having fun and finding a place that accepts you for you rather than the other way around and trying to mold, I think is our, one of our themes here and you are worthy and, um, medicine will benefit infinitely from those of us who practice and boldly and authentically and vulnerably. And yeah, excited to see the ripples from these kind of conversations and, uh, the changing tides, I think that are happening.
0: Well, I'd love to thank both of you for being here today and being vulnerable and putting it all out there and letting people know what you've learned from your experience in medicine and how we can move forward successfully and keeping awesome people in our field, you know, awesome empaths who have compassion um, and maybe have a history of people pleasing, but are learning to you know live in their core values and take care of themselves.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Yes. It's been a, been a delight.